an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with global dining access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. It's the Thursday edition of the Bet the Board podcast. I'm your co-host, Todd Furman, joined alongside Pain Insider in just a matter of minutes. But loyal listeners, we're going to tweak the format a bit this week. So keep those pens and paper handy as we navigate through a busy Sunday of NFL action. We'll answer your questions for those folks that submitted using the hashtag AskBetTheBoard, and more importantly, we'll cover the Thursday night game for you. But, uh, Mr. Payne, you excited to talk some football, my friend? It's Thursday, first game of the week, and uh, I think it's a good lead into the weekend. I think it looks like a big, big weekend. A lot of interesting games that we can cover and go over, and I'm really amped for the the new Ask Bet the board questions. A lot of uh, looks like a lot of great ones so far, and I think the key there is kind of using one-off topics. We address most of the games on here, so we don't really want to have any questions where it's like, "What do you think of this game minus three or plus four? Let's keep them, um, you know, one-off questions where we can kind of help users throughout the course of the season more so than just one particular game. As Payne said, this podcast is for you, the listeners out there, guys. So we want to ask and answer all of your questions you have that relate to anything for your NFL football Sundays. Before we get started, though, remember you can follow Payne on Twitter at Payne Insider and visit his website, PayneInsider.com. Follow me on Twitter, Todd Furman, and Todd'sTake.com. For those that have asked about iTunes, we're working on that. Hopefully we'll be up there shortly. But looking at the Sunday card, I know we talked about a couple games, Payne, on the Monday edition for numbers that would be moving. We've seen some pressure come in on the Jets, pushing that number down, and also on the Arizona-Denver total amid questions about Drew Stanton getting the nod over Carson Palmer. When you look at the board, you know, what number really jumps off the page for you? you know, what's a good place to get started as we break down these games? You know, I think when we look at a couple of these games, I think St. Louis-Philadelphia is an interesting game to look at. You get St. Louis off the bye week. We know Fisher, he's been decent with that situation. 2-0 against the spread with the Rams, 11-7 and overall. And you get a Philadelphia team that is a little beat up. Yeah, they get one component back on their offensive line. Foles looks to have a bruised shoulder, and I think that's partly the reason we've seen some, some under money here. But uh, I think this is a particular one. You'll have that rare dichotomy of sharp versus public, and I think this will eventually at some point close below the seven. So I think this is probably a good starting point for uh, for the podcast. Yeah, early indications look like three out of every four tickets coming in at some of your offshore books. On the favorite here, Philadelphia, you talked about Jeff Fisher and how he prepares his teams coming out of a bye week. The interesting news here is Austin Davis not being named just the starter for this week, but the team moving forward. Do you think that helps continuity and have to imagine they spent the last two weeks finally catering to his skills, not vacillating back and forth between Sean Hill and Austin Davis being the man to lead St. Louis this year? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it gives a young kid confidence. I think this is the kid that's, you know, probably their future for the short term, depending on how he does. We know Hill is nothing more than a stopgap, so I think this is the best way to go. And the numbers kind of prove it. Obviously, you know, a bad interception against Dallas uh, before the bye week. But other than that, this kid's been lights out, good completion percentage, throwing the ball down the field. So I think it gives them a chance to win. And I, and I think this is, you know, again, a decent spot. This feels like a team that will kind of annoy Philadelphia and, and play slow it down, one of the slowest teams in the NFL. And we know Philadelphia wants to, to get out and go. So I think that will annoy Philadelphia a little bit here. Again, Foles not 100% with the Bruce throwing shoulder. So I think this, this is a game, again, will close below that, that second key number of seven. Yeah, it definitely makes sense as you listen to this podcast on Thursday, hopefully, that you lock that up if you see the underdog. Of course, if you're inclined to bet the favorite, may as well wait it out, as Payne alluded to. Could see this number dip to six and a half, six. You mentioned situation, and we know that plays a big role in a lot of what we do as betters, especially in the NFL. And a game that really jumps off the page, I'm interested to get your thoughts. The Giants against the Falcons. Giants opened at three, number got as high as four and a half. We anticipated a lot of money from the Sharp guys coming in on Atlanta. But I ask you this situation says Atlanta it says fade the Giants off that big win against the Redskins but how do you handle the difference knowing that the situation may trump the personnel issues Atlanta very depleted on that offensive line and this may not be the ideal matchup for them as they head to East Rutherford well I could tell you I'm I'm you know still kind of him and hawing on this game and I, I said this would would come off the four and a half we've seen that now as low as three and a half some places so it's obviously key to kind of figure out where the market's going, where it's heading, and get an idea of the sharp sides. I have not pulled the trigger on this because of what you alluded to. Atlanta is just so beat up on that offensive line. When you're moving tight ends to right tackle, it's not a good situation. And then when you focus on the defensive side of the ball, a team that let up nearly 600 yards to Teddy Bridgewater, and now you're without your captain and more, it, it looks like a tough spot. But again, this is a situation where Atlanta's had this game circled with some playoff disappointments getting knocked out the last few years against the Giants. So uh, this is a game they have circled, but I'm just not quite sure um, I'm ready to jump in on Atlanta yet. I'll need to see a couple more things and wait this out till Sunday because I think this is a game that will continue to trend just a touch upward now that uh, I think sharp money's come into the market. I think we'll see some public action from now until game day on the Giants after their great performance last Thursday night. And a game, honestly, Payne, that mirrors that involving another team from the NFC East. You've seen a huge move on Dallas. They opened up as a four-point favorite against the Houston Texans. Price out to six and a half. Again, we look at this and we go the situation favors Houston, an opportunity to fade Dallas after, after that dominating win on Sunday night against the Saints. But, of course, the X's and O's may not quite match up. Houston has struggled to slow down opposing running attacks, and all of a sudden DeMarco Murray looks like the second coming of Jim Brown and Walter Payton toting the rock for these Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I think you hit that one right on the head. Dallas is a team right now that we have seen sharp money on them, clearly. That is sharp money early on Dallas, and a lot of the math guys really like Dallas in this spot. And when you look across the board, and I've seen the numbers come in from my math guys, they have this as high as Dallas minus nine. I think Houston's one of the most fraudulent teams in the NFL ever at three and one. But when you really break down this game, at some point, is Dallas who Dallas has been for the last decade? And you look for them to stub their toe at some point, and this could be that spot. Really no home field advantage factored in here at all. And I think, again, this becomes a different discussion 
as it was earlier in the week when we were talking Dallas at four, four and a half, to potentially getting Houston at seven, it becomes a much different discussion. And I think if you see a seven, it's not going to last very long. I think professionals will look and grab the seven on Houston. And you mentioned that. Will this number get to seven, and how long will it last? You just figure for a matter of seconds that some of those pros who have an appetite for the dog will look to jump in on Ryan Fitzpatrick and company? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we'll see regardless of of the X's and O's. And, you know, I think you kind of have to factor in X's and O's, but at the same time, that's what a lot of these numbers are based on, matchups, numbers. So a lot of, when you talk to a lot of the professionals, uh, there's a reason the math guys really don't do this all on their own. They can't do it all on their own. A lot of the numbers are already factored into the number. We know Houston can't stop the run. We know that's what Dallas leans on. So at some point, I think that number and that some point will be seven will, where, is where the buy order will come in on Houston. All right, well, you talk about seven being the key number there. This game never actually got to seven. Six and a half was the peak in the market before you saw an appetite for the underdog. Jacksonville playing host to the Steelers. Pittsburgh fresh off that embarrassing loss at home to Tampa. A game they should have squeaked out an outright victory. We know the sharp side was clearly the dog as that number was bet down. You saw Pittsburgh with a 24-20 lead, just couldn't hold it late in the game. Jacksonville continues to struggle both to compete in games and to try and cover. One of the few teams in the league still winless against the number along with the Oakland Raiders. You've seen some money on the total from 45.5 out to 47. But what does this number tell you about these two teams and the particular the direction they're trending in at this day and age? Well, right now I think you get professionals wanting to look towards Jacksonville, but the numbers right now it just doesn't seem large enough. I was really looking for a 7 on this game. I thought we would see... Seven, seven and a half. If Pittsburgh was able to win last week, we don't have that situation. We saw sharp money come in on Jacksonville. Regardless, over seems like the logical play. Jacksonville's defense is a mess. Pittsburgh's not much better than you factor in the injuries there. So over, I like a lot. Even at forty-six and a half, forty-seven, I made this game forty-nine and a half on the low end. So that's probably a way to look. But for Jacksonville, when you talk about uh, the insertion of Bortles, this is a guy that does give them a different threat, able to throw the ball down the field, challenge a little bit. And Pittsburgh just has a tough time covering wide receivers. We saw that last week. Glennon went in there, looked like a million bucks, especially ramming the ball deep down the field. So I think Bortles and Jacksonville will have some success this week in a game that I'll be monitoring if I can get a seven again come game day. And a phrase that we never thought anyone would mutter on this podcast, Mike Glennon looked like a million bucks, and that wasn't involving him getting on the bus. It was actually his football talents. So interesting interesting to look there and see what you can take away from a Tampa team and what they were able to do against Pittsburgh. And for a team that was the exact opposite of looking like a million bucks, we shift our attention to the Patriots. Right now a one-point home underdog against a Cincinnati team who comes in undefeated off a bye. Tom Brady had some pretty strong comments about the offense's inability to do much of anything. You look at this total here at 46. Biggest over-adjustment of the weekend here, potentially. New England was a three-point favorite before they laid an egg at Kansas City. Do you see value trying to go against the wave of public sentiment back New England here, maybe even side or total? I think you have to look that way. You know, games, previous games set the next game up, and and when we're looking at this, and, and you probably said it perfectly, Patriots were going to be minus 3, minus 120 on the look-ahead line. And after their performance on Monday night, we saw Pinnacle reach Cincinnati minus 2.5. So nearly, when you factor in juice, nearly a six-point adjustment, which seems to be a ton. I think this is a spot where New England rebounds a little bit. I think we'll see a better defensive performance from them. 
I'm really looking at the total here. This is a total. Now, I know when you look at these teams, their pace numbers uh, kind of are the reason you see a 46 here. Cincinnati, New England, both in the top 10 in that category of, of pace. But I think New England's defense gets things going. Cincinnati's defense with the addition of Burfecht back from injury, I think 46, 46 and a half is a tall number. I think you wait a little bit. This is the Sunday night game. I, the public will be on the over in this game. And I think that's the best way to go, looking towards the under in this game. My number made it 42 and a half. And it's definitely interesting. It'll be fascinating to see when some of the professionals come in and move on this particular total. Have to imagine that there's a buy point, anything at 45 or better. And I know this won't sit well with a lot of our listeners, but our goal, we can't cover every single game for you. So if you have questions on Twitter, hit up Payne Insider or myself at Todd Furman there. Just to reset things for you, the voice on the other end of the line is that of Payne Insider. He of PayneInsider.com, fame and fortune. Uh, I'm your co-host, Todd Furman, here. And, Payne, we started a new feature this week using the hashtag AskBetTheBoard. And I really believe this is the best way to try and integrate the listeners out there, get some of their questions answered, not so much on individual games, as you alluded to early in the pod, but more about philosophical debates when it comes to betting games. And let's start with a teaser question that comes from J.R. He uh, of the Washington Nationals avatar, imagine focused on the baseball diamond, and his Twitter handle, at J.R.R. 0206, asking about teasing the NFL through 3-7. and seven. Do you still see that as a wise investment, as a lot of these books have jacked up juice on NFL teasers? Yeah, I think that's the key, is, is finding sports books uh, that haven't jacked you know, the teaser price up a ton. There are some spots out there where, you can still get six-point teasers at minus 110 and even seven-point teasers in that minus 120, minus 125 range. Obviously, the least juice, the better. When you're looking at these six-point teasers, your leg has to cover roughly 73% for it to, to make sense. And so the key there, obviously, is you're looking, for me, at, at home teams that are a small underdog that you can get through the three, through the seven. I still think they're wise investments. And then again, sides that we look at, and it might not be for the recreational better, but it allows us the opportunity to get down more money on right sides, games that we absolutely love. If we're taking a dog plus three and we think this is going to win outright, it's just another way for us to get more money down on a game, take them through the three, take them through the seven. So that's more of what we use teasers for on our side, just as a, another opportunity to get more money down on a game that we like. Now, another question I'll add, too, that JR didn't hit on. Uh, what's your feeling on teasing through zero? You know the old-school guys say never take a team that's minus three to a plus three dog. I'm of a very different mindset. If I can move a team from three on a six-and-a-half-point teaser, take three-and-a-half for a game I really feel is a coin flip. Makes a lot of sense if I can tie it into another strong leg on the card, but depending on who you ask, you get very different schools of thought there. Yeah, you know, it depends. If you got a, you know, I think your second example there was, you know, a six-and-a-half or a seven-point favorite take them down through the seven, take them down through the three, it makes sense. And when you really look and, and dig into the research and analysis, and I know the old school guys are saying never through zero, and while that sounds nice, one of the most profitable teaser legs are home favorites, as crazy as this is going to sound, at minus four and a half using a six-point teaser and taking them through zero. One of the most profitable teaser legs. Now, that's just what history has shown. It's not something that I practice and do. If I were to take a home favorite of minus three, I would potentially use the seven-point teaser and turn a minus three into a plus three-and-a-half or four, 
and, and that, again, is more of us getting down money on the right side of the game, knowing it's the right side of the game, as opposed to using it as a fundamental tool um, and just saying, hey, I'm gonna, there's a couple teaser legs. I don't necessarily like this game at the current price, but I like it as, as a teaser leg. For us, it's about getting money down on a side that we really, really like, and we're just trying to get more money down on that game. And when you talk about getting money down on a particular side, both Spence Diamonds, he at Spence Diamonds on Twitter, and Gary Alexander at GAlex03, asking questions about bankroll management, again, using the hashtag AskBetTheBoard. What kind of bet spread do the professional use for the NFL? He asked if one through five was fair. And then Gary Alexander asking about what's the max percentage of bankroll you want to have in play at any given time. Obviously, the recreational better Bet size and positions are going to be a little bit smaller than the pros, but I think a lot of the math still resonates no matter if you're starting with $100, $1,000, $10,000, or $100,000 when you're betting football. Yeah, you know, we talked about something similar to this in the first podcast, and it was about not making general statements when it comes to sports betting. Nothing's ABC. If it was, everybody would be doing it. And so just a couple things out there when it pertains to some of this. Professional bettors, far different from the recreational better. And I hear constantly, oh, you can't bet 40 games a day and be successful. Nothing could be further from the truth when it comes to professional sports bettors. They're able to cover more ground than, than the sports books are, and that's why they have that many positions in play. For the recreational better, I don't think it's the best way to go. I use something similar in a 1-5 to five spread, but we definitely venture outside that box based on information. And when you become, uh, I would say, the next level better, being able to decipher your edge is what's going to make you a better sports better, being able to factor in things that are not factored into the line. And while we look around the Internet and we see a lot of numbers and trends and things of that nature, that's not stuff that I think carries a lot of weight. Information is what's really key. And I hate to use his name, and I won't name drop, but we know guys and professional bettors that will move 25000 on a game and have been reported to move $3 million on a game. So that gives you an idea that flat betting obviously is not the way to go. If, you, if you're a flat better, you're basically saying every single game is the same and nothing could be further from the truth there. I think for recreational bettors, you do need to have some type of system, one to three, one to five, but staying more on the low end if you're not great at deciphering your edge. That's, that's my biggest piece of advice. Oh, I think you hitting on edge is definitely key. So many times people rely on Kelly Criterion, and while I think it's a great concept and one that every better should you know, go to Wikipedia and at least understand the terminology, if you can't truly identify your edge, it really puts you at a disadvantageous position. And I would tell folks just getting started here, because we know we have listeners of varying ability levels that will tune into the podcast you know, once or twice a week, that once you can identify that edge, you should spread it out, like you alluded to, 25000 versus $3 million. While you're first getting started, maybe go with a one- to two-unit spread. There's no worse feeling, as we know, going 4-1 and one on a given day. You lose your five-position play, but you win all your singles, and coming out a little bit to the negative on juice. So that, that would be my advice for folks getting started. You know it takes time to try and learn some of the tricks of the trade. And that kind of leads us you know, to the next question that came in from Alex Clemens. And given his Twitter handle, it's a little bit tough to read, underscore PBRME ASAP using the hashtag AskBetTheBoard. Do you typically bet bigger when you're winning or up on the day already? Or no matter what, stay the course, understanding that it's a more of a marathon than a sprint in this business? Yeah, for me, again, it depends on the game. Each game's its own entity, so it doesn't really matter what's going on for me um, on that specific day. 
you know, a single day is really just meaningless to me when, when you factor in the whole big picture. So for me, having done this for so long, a bad day isn't going to affect what I'm doing at, at nighttime. If the game is worth stepping out on, I'm going to step out on it regardless if I'm having a down day or an up day. Uh, obviously, at some points in time where you're on a little heater and you're seeing the board well, you like to you know dabble a little more, throw a little more down there. There's some days I wake up and the games just jump out at me. There's other games, there's other days where I need Rosetta Stone to kind of just see what's going on on the board. I mean, it just doesn't, nothing comes out to me. So I think these are the things that you're faced with as a as a better each and every single day. And my biggest thing when it comes to sports betting is. Take a glance in the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror. This seems to be just looking at Twitter. Everybody's a professional sports better now. Um, My biggest thing is latch on to people that are good with information. Uh, Get together. Share your information. Spread yourselves out. Pick a conference. Have your friend pick another conference. And try to just team up because no one person can do this on their own. So those are kind of my biggest pieces of advice uh, when going over things like this and just little betting tips throughout um, what you're doing on a given day or given week with, with the board. Yeah, it's really tough to try and identify all those spots. Like you said, a one-man wrecking crew in this business is very difficult. As information is always fluid. Things regarding your bankroll management, when to enter the market, and knowing exactly what positions are real. And the NFL a little bit easier to identify, but much different markets we've seen over the years starting to emerge in both college football and college basketball. So when you talk to the right people or at least follow the right people through social media, you have access to some of the best information in real time. And fortunately for those folks listening to this podcast, they get a lot of that great information, including our preview of the Thursday night game tonight featuring Green Bay and Minnesota. We've seen this number go all over the place. Packers open as a 10-point favorite down to 7.5. There's some 9s, there's some 8s, 8.5s. Total 49 down to 47. Of course, the big question here, Teddy Bridgewater status. Will the dynamite freshman, rookie quarterback, whatever you want to call him, be out there taking snaps against the Packers defense this evening? You know, I think that's that's the big question everybody's waiting to see. Uh, For me, when you look at this game and you kind of dig into some of the information, this is a guy who has not practiced all week. Right now you're projecting thunderstorms in a slippery, wet surface, and is that the best thing for an ankle injury? I know a lot of people are saying game-time decision, but if you really take a step back and think about what's going on right now, Christian Ponder is your third quarterback. If he's your starter and Teddy Bridgewater doesn't go, you have to have a backup behind him. So I would look at the 4 p.m. Eastern timestamp because if they're going to pull a guy like Chandler Harnish off their practice squad, it has to be done by 4 p.m. Eastern. If they do that, it's going to tip their hand to whether Teddy Bridgewater is playing or not. They're talking about trying to give it a go with Bridgewater. He is not going to be close to 100%. This is a guy who got carted off the field last week with his ankle injury. I know he came back and was standing on the sidelines. But right now, with a young quarterback, he's got to have his legs. And I think it's just a tough, tough spot if the Vikings are going to throw him out there with the weather conditions uh, this, you know, tonight. I just think it's a tough spot for him. We talked a little bit about teasers, obviously, earlier. Do you think the Packers make for a worthy teaser piece if you can take them down into that one, maybe even a half range if you're inclined to use a seven-pointer instead of a six or six-and-a-half? 
And then the other question I have, when you look at game plan for those folks, and we know there's people that are involved in fantasy, and that's not what we do here, but looking at player props, figuring that Matt Asiata along with Jarek McKinnon will probably shoulder a lion's share of the responsibility when it comes to moving the football, given we've seen Green Bay's defense gashed last week by the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I think a teaser makes some sense on Green Bay. Obviously, you know, that is some sharp money on Minnesota, but once we figure out what the game time decision is, where is that line going to go, I think this is a good spot for Green Bay. I really do. Minnesota, obviously, going to be the trendy team. Looking at how they handled Atlanta a week ago, looking at Teddy Bridgewater in that offense going for almost 600 yards. And obviously the other thing here is the weather. The dog becomes more valuable when you're looking at an open of 50, now down to 47. So the points become more valuable, and you're thinking about, when you talk about this game specifically, with the weather, probably more ground and pound for both teams. Green Bay has had a trouble, a tough, tough time running with Lacey. Minnesota's been able to run the ball with Asiata and McKinnon. So that's probably why the move, I do think a teaser's probably a good way to go here in Green Bay. And I think when, it, when you talk about the fantasy, I'm not a, not a huge fantasy guy, but I think you definitely have to look at totals when you're deciding who to pop in your lineups. You know, it's going to be a much different ball game when you're dealing with a total at 51 than a total at 43 if you're kind of between one or two guys that are, that are projected to do something similar to each other. I, I would definitely use uh, the betting lines as kind of your guide on who to, who to choose if you're in a tough debate. And like you talked about, sometimes the weather is a bit cloudy out on the field. You're not sure what to expect, and the gambling outlook not always much better. We'll tell you throughout the course of the season when we have strong opinions on a lot of these primetime standalone games or when it may be an opportunity to pass for me. This is a game that won't really see me get involved unless I can find a compelling angle to try and exploit. Payne, before we leave our fine listeners, any parting shots or words of wisdom to help these folks get to the window this busy NFL weekend? Uh, As you look around the board, I think even at its current price, I think San Diego at this stage in the game, the market on them is extremely high. You're talking about a team that was an underdog the first three weeks. Boom, last week nearly a 14-point favorite. We saw sharp money on Jacksonville. This week this game opened seven. It's now down to six and a half, but if you do some shopping, you can still get the Jets plus seven. I think this is the Jets' season. I think it's a decent matchup. Looks like Milner might be back. And when you talk about this San Diego team, at what point does the pressure become too much for Phillip Rivers? This San Diego team cannot run the ball. You're talking less than two and a half yards per carry. You're now talking about third-string running backs. I think this is a good spot to look uh, at the Jets this week, especially at seven. We keep picking the Jets on this podcast. Maybe some of our listeners out there will send us some gang green gear that we can sport. And, you know, if we eventually get to video, it'll be a real uh, sight for sore eyes trying to take a look at our two ugly mugs. But for Pain Insider, he of PainInsider.com and Pain Insider on Twitter, I'm your co-host, Todd Furman. You can follow me on Twitter at Todd Furman. You can see my work at toddstake.com. And remember, throughout the course of the week, for any NFL questions that happen to hop into your mind, even on days we're not recording the podcast, use Ask, ask the Bet. Excuse me, I can't even get that out. Ask Bet the Board, the hashtag. We'll try and get those read, not only for our Monday edition, but also Thursday as well. Enjoy your weekend. And remember, tune back in on Monday as we break down the clash between the Redskins and Seattle. And hopefully, we'll see you at the window. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Bet the Board ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.
Or you can listen ad-free with Wondry Plus in Apple Podcasts. But before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondry.com slash survey.